Hi, friends. I'm Rob Tigan. And I'm Joanna. And this is the Growing Home Together podcast. We're caring for the soul of your family, helping you grow closer to God and each other. Thank you for joining us today on the Growing Home Together podcast. Today's topic feels really personal to me, even though I grew up in a Christian home. Even before I met Joanna, I had a picture in my mind of the kind of family I wanted to build for myself. That picture of a Christian home was very idealistic and had a lot of my own perfectionism tangled up in it. I think almost every believer I know wants to raise Christian kids, have a godly marriage, and feel like they're doing it right. But we know the challenges to accomplish these goals. For those who didn't come from a Christian home themselves— or are the first generation in their family to believe in Jesus, it can feel intimidating. They wonder, where do I begin? Right, so that is why we're thrilled to welcome our guest, Mary DeMuth, to the podcast today. Mary is the author of over 40 books. Uh, She's a speaker and an artist, and she's the host of the popular daily podcast, Pray Every Day. Mary is the mom of three adult kids, and she makes her home in Texas with her husband, Patrick. Thank you so much for joining us today, Mary. I'm excited to be here. Thank you. So, Mary, before we jump into the big topic of building a Christian family, can you tell us some of your own story and what led you to write Building a Christian Family You've Never Had? Right. And before I even say that, I think this book is not just for those who are raised in non-Christian homes. I think there's a lot of people that were raised in Christ-following homes, but there's just some things that... They just didn't want to duplicate. They didn't want to do again. And so it has kind of that help for anybody. But I definitely was raised in a a non-Christian environment, um, a very unsafe home, uh, lots of divorces, death of a parent, uh, drug abuse in the home, a lot of um, sexual abuse happening, not necessarily in the home, but because of the neglect in the home. Um, And so there was this, this little part of me growing up that had this vow that I had made that I'm not going to be like that. Um, I had no way of bringing that about. I didn't know Christ. And so it wasn't until I met him at 15 years old that that longing really filled into my heart. And um, But the reality was when I did meet my future husband, And we had lots and lots of talks about what we wanted to see our house look like, our home look like. I was very afraid because I knew that people really, we learn by what has happened to us. We learn by actions, not by reading books. And even though I was reading a lot and a lot and a lot of books, I was afraid that my fallback would be what I had experienced as a child. And so that really was the impetus of kind of learning how to rely on Jesus to parent um, and the frustration I had as a pioneer parent that there were no parenting books for me. When I got, when I picked up a parenting book, a lot of those authors had been raised in Christian homes and there was a lot of things that were already known that I just didn't know. And so that's why I wrote the book because I felt like someone has to talk to the people who feel like they're starting from absolute zero. And what do you, you know, how do you go forward from there? Right. I I totally am hearing what you're saying. Um, And, you know, I think for us and for a lot of friends who are listening today, we, we all feel some pain about the gap between our childhood experiences and the family life that we want to create in the now. 
So what would you say is the first step for someone to take to move forward from the past? Well, um, first I would say it's important to let go of some of your perfectionism, which was just talked about earlier and he's laughing, right. but, uh, because there is, you know, that, I think that can really discourage you because you get in your mind what, what it's supposed to look like. And if your expectations don't meet reality, then you can kind of give up. Um, I would say that the first step, and this seems kind of basic to me, but, um, for me, it was, I just got on my knees a lot and I prayed and cried and asked God to heal me of anything and everything from the past because I understood that I brought myself into the marriage. I brought myself into the parenthood journey and my future kids and my husband needed me to be healed. And so I did a lot of work with the Lord and through counseling and through other things um, on my own heart because as Jesus says, your actions flow and your words flow from what's inside of your heart. And if you can't get your heart right, you can't expect to just superimpose perfectionistic tendencies upon yourself and that everything's going to be fine. Mm -hmm. So you talked about your heart. Um, can you give us a little bit of detail about kind of the shape that your heart was in when you entered into your adult life? Yeah, I would say it was pretty broken. I was open about it and I wasn't hiding the fact that it was broken, but um having endured so many years of trauma, I was I was a little bit Susie Sunshine thinking, well, I know Jesus now, so I am fine. And I also during my college years had experienced a lot of healing where I just met up with some people that love to pray. And so I had a significant amount of healing then. And so I kind of wiped my hands of it and said, okay, I'm done. Now I can live my life. And that's over with not realizing the tentacles of trauma and how they would hit me at different points throughout my entire life. And so I was super naive and just kind of went forward without realizing the damage that had been done. Right. I know that's kind of a personal topic for us. I mean, one of our children is adopted and nearly any child who's been adopted out of the foster care system has experienced some level of trauma and it's taking a lot of concerted effort to help him begin that work as a child. Uh, it sounds like you started doing your work when you were older than him, but it's just difficult, hard work, but so good. So good. Yeah, I, I agree. And it's you know, one of the best gifts that you can give your spouse and your kids is a healed you. And so I think a lot of people think, oh, you know, healing is so self-absorbed and I don't want to just be narcissistic and think about myself, but it's actually a, a gift. I remember um, I gave a talk a while back and this lady came up to me and she was crying and and she said, I, my mom finally told me that she had been sexually assaulted. Her mom was like in her 70s or 80s. Mm -hmm. And I asked her, would it have been a gift to you if your mom had worked on her issues earlier in life? And she just cried more. And she said, oh, it would have been such a gift. And so that's why we can't think of it as selfish. It's, we have to think of it as this is what we're going to duplicate in our homes so we have to get our hearts in a better place. And not that we ever arrive. We won't until the new heavens and the new earth come. But um, but we can sure make some progress. And by God's grace, He loves to heal us. And so we have to be willing to do it. But He is so gracious to do so. Right. And one thing that really touched me in what you were writing was um, how part of your healing process 
involved the forgiveness process and how a lot of your moving forward in your life with your own family had to do with forgiving what had happened in the past. Um, is there anything you could speak to us about that today? Right. I will say that um, I think a lot of people get tripped up and they have, and I'm this way, so um, maybe some others can relate to it. I'm kind of an all or nothing person. And so I would think to myself, well, if I can't fully forgive in this you know, holy moment right now, then I must not have forgiven. Um, but what I learned throughout the process of learning to forgive my family of origin was that it's a process and it's one little step. That's a decision of, okay, on February 12th, I decided I'm going to start forgiving and then March 13th will come along and I'll have a trigger back to an event. And I will think, I can either think, oh, I must not have forgiven them. Or I can think, oh, this is just another layer of my journey of forgiveness instead of seeing it as this one and done. The one and done in inaugurates the process, but you have to not be caught off guard by the fact that you will be hurt again or you'll have a reminder of the hurt that will cause you to forgive another layer. Yeah, and I think you, you do a good job in the book, too, to, of kind of unpacking that as you learned, I guess, through um, your experiences and over the years to see some of those experiences, those hard experiences um, as gifts and how God worked in you. You also talk a lot about how marriage and parenting brought some of those things to the surface, but allowed you to work on them, too. So that I think that's a very um, encouraging reminder when they, those feelings do come up and those hard things do come up, that um, that's an opportunity for God to kind of work on our hearts and, and expand what we're, what we're becoming, I guess, um, as a, a new family. I agree. And it, I, I really think about how the fact that it's important that we know God, but it's also just as important that He knows us. And of course, as a sovereign God, holy and knowing everything, um, He does know us, but we still have this little kind of gatekeeper in our heart to be known by Him. And those little triggers that come up in the process of marriage and raising a family are opportunities to either open that door and say, okay, Lord, I obviously have another injury here. Can we talk about this and can we move forward? Or we can shut the door and say, no, ah, don't touch that. I don't want you in that corner of my heart. And so mm -hmm. I see it as like marriage and family raising is part of the sanctification journey of being known by God and knowing Him. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, whether you were raised in a Christian home or not, I think when we look at our past upbringing, we can come up with a long list of things that we don't want to do with our present families. Um, but we also need a vision for what we want to do um, or what we want our home to look like. And I love how you in the book describe it, the vision as pioneering. So can you explain that a little bit? And I mean, I know you talk somewhat about kind of the perfectionism, but um, when you talk about pioneering, what does that, that look like? Right. So as you think about pioneers, um, typically they're leaving a bad situation or an untenable situation and they're moving toward some sort of promised land, right? So right. Um, what is, I kind of liken it to uh, when we're scared into the kingdom. So we, maybe we hear about hell and we're freaked out. And so that negative example of hell causes us to jump into the kingdom, but that can only sustain us for so long. That's in the past. It's something we learned about in the past. And we, the farther we grow and get away from that, the less influence it has. So we need this holy vision in the forward front of our walk, you know, mm -hmm. like the California gold rush or something. We need something ahead of us 
to pull us forward and to grow toward that vision. And that's where, you know, talking with your spouse and praying and reading the Bible and watching other families um, and kind of coming up with a, you know, family manifesto or something like that, that causes you to want to go forward. Um, We don't do well reacting to a negative. We do a lot better when we're compelled by a forward vision. And I know you would agree with me too, that, that change and growth are hard. Um, I mean, we just know what we know, like you were saying before, from wherever we came from. And so for me, I was raised in a very authoritarian home where you just did what you were told because I said so, you know Mm -hmm. what I mean? So when I had my own kids, it was a challenge for me to shift away from an authoritarian parenting style to one that was more open and full of grace. So what are some practical and tangible steps that you took to do things differently with your own kids? I think one of the best things I did was I was a stalker of good families. <laughs> I mean, that's a positive <laughs> way. Um, I, I was reading a lot of books, but it really didn't help me as much as watching people. And so if, if I saw a mom in a grocery store be really, really kind to her child, I would just tuck that away in my memory bank and think that's what it's like to, to talk kindly to a child. Um, I had other older parents, you know, that were ahead of me in the journey and I would just watch them. And I had a friend who mentored me in motherhood who was, you know, maybe 15 to 20 years ahead of me. Um, because I literally did not know. I had zero frame of reference. And like you said earlier, I knew what I didn't want to do, but I didn't know what I did want to do. And so the only way I could figure that out was by watching people. Yeah, I love that. You know, when our kids were really tiny, I think our oldest was still only about four years old. Um, And we had a baby girl and there was a, a neighbor across the street who just opened up her life to me. And she was a mom of five kids and her daughter would come over and babysit our kids. And it's exactly like you're saying. I just had eyes wide open watching the way she parented those kids. And she has no idea uh, what an influence she really was, but it was profound. So yeah, having just an example to watch is huge. Yes, so much is caught, not necessarily taught. And I know that's a cliche, but it is. A lot of times cliches are true because they're true. (laughs) So (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) That's right. Hey there, friends. We'll get back to the show in just a second, but I'm excited to tell you about a wonderful marriage resource that Rob and Joanna have for you. Rob and Joanna Tigan have been married for almost 30 years and have experienced every kind of high and low in their life together. But if they had to name the biggest lesson they've ever learned as a married couple, it's that a close relationship with God helps them have a close relationship with each other. And on the flip side, if they move farther away from God, They are sure to experience a growing distance from each other, too. That's why they are so passionate to help couples draw closer to God and each other every day. Rob and Joanna have created a powerful tool for you to use in your marriage. It's called Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples. This gorgeous book gives you an inspiring scripture, a word of teaching and encouragement, and a prayer to lift up together every day of the year. The daily topics cover every part of your life together, whether it's financial or parenting stress, conflict or communication, or the intimacy and oneness you're longing to grow between you. Now today you may be feeling distant or discouraged, 
Maybe your faith has been tested by the stress of this past year, or maybe you're feeling lonely and unsupported in your relationship. It's incredible how connecting with God and each other through a daily devotional can transform your marriage and give you hope. You can find Mr. and Mrs. 366 Devotions for Couples at growinghometogether.com or wherever books are sold. Check out the link in the show notes for easy access to the book on Amazon. Now, back to the show. Um, you know, you talk a lot in the book, too, about, um, I, I guess I as I read it, it it's kind of puts you in stages because there's the first part, like we talked about early on, where you, you need to kind of work um, with God on yourself mm-hmm. and work through that process. And then there's the marriage piece, you know, and that kind of brings a whole nother level of, of having to work on things. And then the parenting piece comes into that. And so you talk a lot about setting healthy boundaries, um, in the book and what that looks like as you're going through that healing process and, and starting or building your own family. And so, um, how do you handle that when you're parenting and um, your family is watching and they think you're being too religious or uh, too strict or not strict enough, or you're just, they just think you're messing up your kids. <laughs> yes. And we have, we had some pretty extreme examples of that. And um, I mean, right away in our marriage, we were uh, accosted by one of the in-laws and um, it was rough. It was really rough and it was so bad and almost violent. And so we had to create very strict boundaries around us for a long time. And it felt, we, we went to counseling. We counseled with our pastor and cause we didn't want to, you know, do that. We felt like mm-hmm. we wanted them to be a part of our kids' lives, but it was so toxic and so terrible. And we got wise counsel and we made that boundary. Um, a word of caution is that those boundaries can work and, you know, and I don't know any other way that we could have done it, but it did change the relationship. And, mm. um, but I would much rather ha- suffer under the consequences of a changed relationship with a family of origin than to have subjected my children to abuse. So, mm. um, as a parent, I had to put my big girl pants on and we had <laughs> to protect our kids from some not great influences. I'm trying to be vague there because I don't want to, you know, rehash it here, but, but just to encourage listeners, it is possible to create boundaries and you have the right to do it because you are the parent. And, and what you're describing doesn't just touch our parenting either. Um, I know a lot of couples struggle with pressure uh, to please their parents at the expense of their marriage. And in your book, you talk uh, in a really neat way about that idea of leaving and cleaving. Um, And I was hoping that you could talk to us today about growing a strong and godly marriage when our in-law relationships might be kind of messy. Yes, absolutely. In fact, when Patrick and I counsel young couples, which we do from time to time, this is our biggest topic that we bring up because it's so important. And I can almost predict um, a marriage um, happy quotient (laughs) by how they already are dealing with it before marriage. Um, it is absolutely biblical to leave and cleave. And 
it is hard. And, um, you know, I have not had to deal with that with my kids yet. They have left and they have successfully left, but they haven't um, married yet. So I haven't experienced that loss of relationship that may come from that. Um, but I pray that I have grace, you know, in that experience, <laughs> because when we had to do that, um, I remember one particular big blow up that we had uh, in a restaurant while I was pregnant. And uh, it was like the kind of blow up that the waiters in the restaurant were looking aghast. And I had to stand up and walk out of the restaurant because I was of the way I was treated. And my husband basically just stood up for me to his parents and walked out of the restaurant too. And I never felt more loved because he chose me. He did not allow them to continue in their behavior. And he, um, he chose our family over them. And that's, boy, I mean, let's talk about how rough that was. That was, we were in our early twenties. That was really gutsy for him to do, but it was the right thing to do. Right. And, you know, there might be couples listening today who are saying, well, we did leave. We don't live under our parents' roof anymore. Can you kind of flesh out what leaving really is? Well, there's an emotional leaving, too. I mean, physically you can leave. And if you're not living in your parents' basement, it still doesn't mean you're not emotionally attached to them. Mm -hmm. And so your marriage becomes the first place, besides going to Jesus first, your marriage becomes the first place you go for emotional fulfillment. Not to say you shouldn't have friends or anything like that, but um, but the, the wisdom that you need to continue on and the allegiance that you have should be your marriage first. And if you're finding that you're calling your mom or you're calling your dad, um, and especially if you're complaining about your spouse to another family member, those are extreme uh, red flags that you have not left and cleaved. Now, all that to say, there are times in marriages that, um, especially in destructive, abusive marriages, where that may be appropriate in order to get out of an unsafe situation. So I don't want to put that kind of mantle on people to say, well, you should never call your parents. That's not true. Mm-hmm. There's, there's mm-hmm. nuance in everything. But if when you're starting your a marriage, you should your focus should be on building that first and curating your relationship over all other relationships. Yeah, and I mean, um, as we talk through this, it, it there are a lot of different um, aspects of it. That's why I would encourage. Uh, I mean, we could we could talk to you for a long time because you cover so many great um, topics on developing a Christian home. Um, so that's why I'd encourage people to get the book "Building the Christian Family You Never Had" because um, we'll we'll touch on some of it. But as you work together as a couple. Um, you know, there's scripture, and you you mentioned this in the book, there's uh, scriptures about honoring your parents. Um, but at the same time, God's very clear that when you get married, um, you do leave and cleave. You do start a new family unit, and that becomes kind of a sacred thing. Um, so in that process, as, as families are trying to work through this, um, can you help a little bit on on that? How do we honor our families and yet still set healthy boundaries and that kind of thing? Yeah, there's a whole chapter about honor because this is what really trips up Christian parents a lot. And rightfully, it should because there's some very strong language in the Bible about we need to be honoring our parents if we want to have a long life. You know, there's some pretty good stuff in there. Right. Um, the, the Hebrew concept of honor means to give weight to. So when we talk about, it's kind of like glory. It's this heaviness. Like when we give glory to God, we, we say that He is weighty. 
And so it is the position of parenting that is given that weight. But in Jewish rabbinical literature, they talk about the problem of the wicked father. And in that instance, if you have a wicked father who causes you to do things against what God would have you do, um, then you are to obey God first. And as I thought about this also, I had to look at Jesus and how he treated his parents. And he basically said, who are my mothers and my fathers and brothers? No, you all are. He kind of flattened the line a bit. But to give mm-hmm. honor does not mean to ignore sin. Um, it does not mean to, to uh, live a lie. It, and one of the things that was hard for me is I did have to speak the truth in love to family members. And in my mind, I thought this doesn't feel like honoring, even though I tried to do it as calmly and kindly as I could. But in the long run, as I look back on those relationships, which are now being restored to the glory of God, um, my telling the truth did not ruin everything. I thought it did, and it did for a while. But in that way that reconciliation can future, happen in the future is on that truth. If you continually allow deception to happen, um, you could have a false reconciliation, but there's no way to have a real reconciliation unless truth has been spoken. Right. And one thing that I was curious about um, is as God did a transforming work in you personally and then did a transforming work in building a Christian marriage and a, and a godly home around you. Um, I was wondering the impact that that has had on your extended family. And if God did use your home life as a beacon of light to, to reveal himself to people who haven't known him before. I hope so. (laughs) I hope so. I, we don't have a lot of feedback from our, family members about that. Although in one particular relationship, I can say that that um, they came back and said, you have really done a good job with your kids and they're so this or they're so that, you know, complimented them. And, you know, of course, as parents, we hold that all very loosely because we're just a mess and <laughs> we did the best we could, <laughs> but we know our kids are going to go through counseling. And so it's, you know, we just hold that. We hand it up back to the Lord because only good things come from him. But I, I do hope so. And that is certainly my prayer that um, my heart in beginning motherhood was that my kids would not experience the kind of deprivation that I had experienced, that they would know that they were loved. And I can unequivocally say that all three kids know that I loved them and they grew up in a loving home. And that was very important to me. So in that sense, I feel like that was accomplished. That's good. I um, just as a as a side note, when you mentioned the counseling, I, someone said to me once, you know, if if um, you feel like your kids don't give you enough credit for anything, uh, wait till they grow up and they start with a counselor. They'll give you credit for everything. So <laughs> that's just a side my note. Dad, my mom. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so you know, I mentioned early on about kind of my idealistic idea of what. I wanted my Christian family to look like and my struggle with perfectionism. And I, I, you know, I can really beat myself up if I fail Joanna or the kids. Um, And sometimes I can beat them up if they're not living up to what I think, uh, you know, we should be looking like as a Christian uh, family. So how do we, as we're trying to build, 
you know, have a Christ-like home. Um, how do we cope with our own weaknesses and failures, do you think? Well, I, I think you and I are very similar. So I will just say it's not easy. And it's a retraining of the mind that uh, takes a long time to retrain yourself, to give yourself grace, and to give yourself the kind of grace that you give your kids often or that you give your best friend. Um Inevitably, we are clay-footed creatures who make a lot of mistakes, and my fallback is humility. And the humility doesn't always have to mean hitting myself over the head. Humility can simply mean, hey, I really said some bad things, and I hope you can forgive me. I was wrong. And usually when I approach it that way with humility, humility then the beautiful part of the Holy Spirit is just there's this cleansing that happens and I don't necessarily have that need anymore to hit myself over the head. Um, whenever I hear that there's something that I've done that has hurt my kids, even if it was, you know, several years ago, if it gets brought up, I will apologize. There's, it's just a stronger foundation than to be um, touchy or uh, defensive. And so that's one way I've com- combated it. So Mary, I know that the desire and the burden to grow a Christian family is heavy on the hearts of many of our friends who are listening today. And if you could leave them with just one word of encouragement, what would it be? I guess I would just go back to hit your knees, get on your knees and and cry out to the Lord because you will only be as strong as, as, as his rescue. And um, I literally did not know how to parent. I did not have an example at all. Every example that I had was negative, and I'm I'm not exaggerating. And so I just my parenting style was crying a lot, <laughs> getting on my knees and saying, "Help! Um, we cannot do this in our own strength. It is impossible." And that's one of the beautiful things about marriage and parenting is that it is impossible. And because of that, it shows us our weakness and we can either double down and try to you know, work on getting better or we can get on our knees and say, I can't, you can, please help me. Very simple prayer. We have a similar um, experience in that we, I think, just had that idea that we were going to create the perfect family and have the perfect marriage and those kind of things. And when we went into the adoption, the foster care and adoption process, um, for the first time in our, our lives, we had a situation where every day we had to lay this child before God. And we honestly had no idea what um, this kid's future was going to be. And so that really put us in a situation where God, we prayer, was and and help was really all we had and god hit both and joanna and i at different points to say you know what you should have that same open-handed way of living with your own kids Mm -hmm. and that freed us so it changed our prayer lives and it freed us up so much to let god run the show in our family and in our parenting um and so so we're with you on that, that uh, we learned too, that prayer is the foundation to um, building a strong home. Yeah, we're just so glad that you could join us today, Mary. If our friends want to take hold of your books and learn more about your podcast and your art and your speaking ministry, where can they go? The most simple place is marydemuth.com and everything is all right there. As we wrap things up, would you be willing to pray for our friends listening today? 
Sure, I'd love to. Dear Jesus, thank you for another day of life. Thank you for taking us from strength to strength, even when we feel like we're weak. I pray for those pioneer parents out there, and I think all of us are pioneer parents, who feel like they cannot um, figure this out. And I thank you so much that you are the perfect parent and that you know how to lead a family. And so I just place their families in your hands right now. I entrust them to you. I pray for surrender um, all over the United States and all over the world, that there would be a surrender to you, um, uh, letting go of needing to control outcomes, a letting go of that perfectionism that can pervade Christian homes, a letting go of um, what we think should happen and an open-handed response to you to say, Lord, I can't, but you can and please help. I pray your Holy Spirit would bring grace into homes. Your Holy Spirit would move in and through kids who are battling trauma, which I know is such a lifelong gift that keeps on giving. I pray for um, healing. Lord, I thank you so much that you are the God who heals and you are the God who provides and you are the God who sees and you are all powerful and you come to our aid and you are Emmanuel, God with us. So thank you for being with us, walking alongside us, grieving with us and empowering us to be the kind of parents that we long to be. Uh, We love you and we need you and we praise you in Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Uh, It means a lot to us, Mary, that you're willing to share your time and your story with us today. So thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. And thank you, friends, for joining us at the Growing Home Together podcast. We're caring for the soul of your family. And growing home together with you. Bye. Bye.